What is your name? What's in a name? So many of our parents, what? Some of you have one of those really cool names where it's like joy, faith, hope, serenity. I mean, you have like that really cool name where your parents like, I want the essence of something good to be in my child. So maybe someday they will hold those values and they will kind of reflect their own name. Uh, There is a lot in a name. We're looking at the names of God, but it's kind of a difficult thing because there's over like a hundred names of God just that we see. And if you really get into the tenses and just all the little nuances of the names of God within scripture, you're looking at over 900. So if we really did a series for that, we would be years and years and years going through the names of God. So we actually kind of narrowed it down a little bit. And we're looking at this gentleman. He lived a long time ago. He probably lived about 4,000 years ago. And it was intriguing because when this man lived, there was no Bible. There was no scripture. There was no authority, moral authority, like in a book that we can get today. And so it was unique because he didn't really know a lot. He grew up in a family that worshiped the moon. (laughs) I mean, most of us have not had to, you know, get past that hurdle. This was Abraham. Abraham was the person that we're kind of looking at. And we're looking at his story, but parts of his story and kind of how God is seen through his own personal story. And last week we looked at Abraham, and he basically said, you know what? God did some crazy things in his life, and he says, you are the God most high. And it's kind of that reference point for many of us that we have to get to the point where God is God. God is God. We are not God. God is God most high, and God will come through, and God will see us and understand us. And so as we look at Abraham and we kind of look at his story, we understand that his reference for God was through his personal experience and through, of course, some other people explaining to him who God is. So often today we look in scripture and we're like, oh, okay, this is who God is. We have such an advantage today that he did not have back then. So we looked at the very first time we kind of see Abraham is Genesis chapter 12. So 12 chapters into the Bible, we see this man. Life on earth was different at that time. People were not, they did not live, of course, the way we do today. God came to him and said this, Lord said to Abraham, this is Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. He says this, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the people on earth will be blessed through you. That's an amazing, that's a, a conversation to have with God Almighty. And this is what God tells this man. I don't know about you, but, you know, hey, you're going to make me into a great nation? You're going to make my name great? Okay, sign me up. Sign me up. But the problem was this, is that he actually had to pick up his whole entire family. He had to move everybody. This is what he had to do. There, he didn't move his, in like the entire family, but like some nephews, some nieces, his wife, his servants in his house. I mean, anyone that was in his immediate family, they, they moved. So this was a difficult thing. This was a very difficult thing. I have a map here. I'll kind of show you the distance that they kind of traveled. So they're over here by the Persian Gulf, right? And so that's, a, that's not an easy travel. He basically says, just start moving, and then I will tell you when to stop. So he doesn't even know. Imagine going to your wife, guys, and saying, hey, you know what? God told me something. He's telling us to pick up our stuff and move. Well, where? I don't know yet. Are you sure? You know, were you dreaming? Did you eat something bad the night before? You know, what is really happening here? And then all of a sudden, you know, would you not play this card, right? Because there's an issue that's going on here. He's been married for a very long time and they have no kids. And all of a sudden, what happens here? He goes, God tells him, hey, you're going to be a great nation. There's a few things that need to happen to be a great nation, right? A constitution, some land, people. (laughs) He has no kids. He's in his like 70s, 80s. I mean, he he is an older man. 
And back then, this was, this was a difficult timing because if you could not have a son or a daughter for your husband, it was like this mark of shame on a woman. And it should not have been there. It should not have happened that way. But so often in this culture, oh, you can't have a, you can't have a kid? What did you do wrong? You know, what's wrong with you, honey? You know, what's wrong? You can't have a kid? What? And it was this thing, that's, this, this shame that was carried around by Abraham's wife. And so you know Abraham came and said, you know what, if you move with me, guess what? You're going to have a kid. <laughs> you know he used it. You know he did. So what happens? They all get together and they move. And they take off and they go and they find where God says, you know what, this is where I need you to land. And they're obedient. They're faithful. They do what they need to do to please the Lord. Springtime comes. No child. Because, you know, babies need to be born in spring, you know. <laughs> no No baby. Summer, no baby. Fall, no baby. Winter, no baby. Now let's repeat that ten more times. Ten years go by. We get to Genesis chapter 16. Last week we looked at Abraham and it was like army. I mean, he was, he was the commander in chief. He went in routed. I mean, it was an amazing story last week that we looked at. That was like chapter 14. We are now into chapter 16. Ten years after they picked up and moved, a whole lot of springs have gone by and no storks have visited their house. I mean, it's not happening. Ten years. Ten years. And here we are. We jump into Genesis chapter 16. Now Sarai, Abraham's wife, was born him no children. And somehow it's her fault, right? Did they go to the fertility doctor? I'm not sure, but somehow it's her fault. I'm not sure why that's her fault, but maybe, I don't know. So here we go. It goes on, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. And she comes up with this crazy plan. So many times when we are waiting on God, when we're trying to figure out our lives, what do we do? We come up with crazy plans. Where are you waiting right now? We did a whole series on waiting back in the fall. And it resonated with so many people in this room because it seems like all we do is hurry up and wait. It seems like, God, I'm doing this for you. I'm reaching out to you. I'm obedient for you. I'm faithful for you. Now do something. And so many times, what do we do? We come up with a way. We strategize. We come up with a solution. And God's going, no, 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 no. That's not the deal. That's not what I wanted you to do. And here's Sarah. She wanted a baby so badly that she comes up with this ridiculous idea. And this plan that you're going to hear it, and most of you know this story, but you're going to hear it and you're going to go, oh. So here it is. So she said to Abram, Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Then Abraham agreed to what Sarah said. Idiot, (laughs) right? Are you kidding me, dude? Do we realize, guys, that there are some things that, that are proposed to us by the people that we love that we should still say no to, right? Just because somebody tells you, I love you, does not mean that we should do that. Vice versa, women, same exact thing. There's so many times when we do, we agree as a family to do something when there is no, we have no business doing that. We know what's right down deep in our heart, but yet what do we do? We move forward because the people are surrounding us, even though we know it's not the right thing. Abraham moves forward and he does this. Verse 3, so after Abram had been living in Canaan, 10 years, Sarah, his wife, took her Egyptian slave, Hagar, and gave her to her husband to be his wife. In a monogamous culture, we're going, this is, this, is not, this is not good, man. This is not good. And so now all of a sudden, her status has changed from servant to now wife. And of course, this takes place, verse 4, so easy, so simple. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. Those are such easy words, right? Tell that to the couple that's had a hard time conceiving. 
Tell that to the woman that cannot, and they've been to every doctor, and nothing is helping, and you know, it's just, hey, the two of you, it's just not going to happen. Tell that to them. You know, these words are so simple and so easy, and here's Hagar, and it's just, I mean, it just happens, and you can imagine there's drama, and there's issues, and there's supposed to be joy, but there's not joy. You know, I mean, this is when a baby is conceived, when a baby is born, when a baby is, you know, there's announcement of a baby. I mean, this is a great, 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 great thing. And there's not really joy in this home. There's not really happiness. And then this story takes this crazy turn for the worst. I mean, I don't know what they were thinking. Hey, let's go to the baby gap and do some shopping together. Let me throw you a baby shower. This was not the situation. There was tension. There was drama that was going on. Verse 4, I'm sorry, verse 4. Um, when she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. So we're seeing, we're seeing stuff coming from all different places. Hagar is now starting to despise the woman that she is supposed to be a servant to, but now is the wife of the... I mean, it's, this is a, one of those weird, crazy, strange stories. There are some issues going around the tents for sure. Verse 5, when Sarah said to Abram, you're responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. This is strange because Abraham is now getting called out. Abraham is now getting called out for something that he was, that was suggested by the person he's being called out by. This is difficult. So badly, what do we want to do is just looking at the outside like, well, you just, you shouldn't have even have done this in the first place. And as I said so many times, we need to do what is right, Period. So many times in our culture, what are we, we, we know what is right, we know what is wrong, we know what our morals are, but yet our culture is telling us that you have to agree with everybody. And if you don't agree with them, you have to scrap your morals. You can love someone and be compassionate for somebody and not scrap your morals. Do we understand this? This is so important for us to understand because we really are. I mean, you disagree with anybody, anybody. It's like you hate them. And if I could go back in time and just tell Abraham, hey man, just do what you know is right between you and God. Oh, it would have helped him. <laughs> it would have saved him from so much heartache. If I could tell you anything today, you know, do what is right. Not what our culture says is right, because there's no moral authority within our culture. And as America goes further and further and further along, what happens? We are taking the Bible out and we are taking God out. There is no authority at that point. When you have a, a standard a set standard, you can go, okay, we go back to that. We go back to Scripture. We go back to the Bible. We go back to the words of God. That helps us. That helps us understand. Just because we don't agree with everything in this culture does not mean that we are hateful people. It does not. Abraham could have understood this if we could understand this. Verse 6, your slave is in your hands, Abraham said. And then he does something dumb. Do with her whatever you, whatever you think is best. Then Sarah mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. There is no innocent person in this situation. There is no innocent person. Hagar was arrogant, right? She got pregnant. Look at me, look at me, look at me. I'm about to have the kid in the house. Yeah, right? This is Hagar, right? Her status changed, and she immediately, arrogance just took her over. Sarah was just mean, right? She's just a mean, just despiteful person right now. You realize that we can turn that way when a situation takes place? You're like, where did that come from? You know, there's this, something just takes you over and you're going, ah, oh, that was not me. That was not someone. You can turn angry. We talked about this before. People that look right and look good, anger can just fill them and dictate their decisions. 
This is what happens to the human being, the person that is dependent upon (laughs) this world to give them fulfillment. We need the Holy Spirit. We need God filling us to, to battle this back. And of course, Abraham, through this whole entire thing, he's just sitting there passive as can be. I'm going to tell you this morning, and this is proof of it. I mean, you look at the patriarchs in the Bible and Scripture. I mean, you look at the ones that we hold high. Abraham is one of them. Abraham's one of them, right? I mean, he is one of those, those people in Scripture. Like, I mean, most people, even if you come to church or not, you've heard of the name Abraham. You know, he's someone that we hold high, and his life was messy. We do ourselves such a disservice when we think our lives are not going to be messy, that there's going to be no issues in our life. What's going on with you right now? What is wrong with your life right now? You can probably go, there's this, 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 this. And if you have kids, you're going, and this, 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 right? And if you have grandkids, you just keep on going because, I mean, your life is crazy town, right? I mean, this is just the way life is. You're constantly waiting on something. You're constantly waiting on a job to happen, a promotion. You're waiting on your husband to get it finally. You're waiting on your kid to come back home. And, and I mean, there's so many things that we can just go, okay, God, will you come back around on this? I'm being obedient. This is what should happen. Life is messy. Life is crazy. So many people think and feel as long as, as long as I follow God, my life is going to be magical. And it will but a different way that our world will say. Our world will say, for your life to be magical and great and amazing, you have to have this, 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 and this. And God's going, no, 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 you only need me. And last week we looked at this idea that what do we do as Christians? What do we do as humans? Our hearts are idol factories. Everything in our life that God has said, let me bless you with this. What do we do? We turn into an idol and we elevate it. Your kid is amazing at sports or whatever, has a great (laughs) voice, whatever it might be. You're an incredible business-minded person. You created that business that you love. What do we do? We hold that higher than the one that gave it to us in the first place. Last week, we looked at that whole idea that God is the God of God most high. He is most high. Let's get back to our story. You ready for this? Verse 7. And then you, You think, okay, kind of story wraps up. Story finishes, story's kind of coming together. There was drama in the house. She was mean. The servant left. Baby's gone. Everything's, you know what? And now we just focus on the couple. Now we just focus on Abraham and Sarah because, you know what? That's what, that's what we do, right? We focus on the person that we, you know, that's popular. We focus on the person that has the best everything, the best looking, you know? So let's just look at Abraham and Sarah. And then all of a sudden, the camera shifts from this, this couple that has been so blessed over to the servant? And all of a sudden, the story starts tracking the servant. The story doesn't track the couple anymore. And we start seeing that God is not just the God of the popular and the rich and the blessed and everything else. God is the God of the one that thinks nobody sees them. God is the God of the one that is not popular. God is the God of the one that didn't have life go their way. That so often sit over in the corner and go, I don't know, I don't know. You know what? Everything's kind of happening around me. I just don't know if anybody even cares. I, don't, I just don't know. God's going, there's something different here. Verse 7, the angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was a spring that is beside the road of Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarah, calls her. I mean, this was like weird times, you know, when slavery was okay in its own kind of strange way. Where have you come from? Where are you going? Angel of the Lord, this is unique. The angel of the Lord makes this appearance throughout the Old Testament. 
The angel of the Lord most likely is that pre-incarnate state of Jesus Christ. Before Jesus Christ came to this earth, this was like, this, I mean, you look at the angel of the Lord, deity is definitely given to the angel of the Lord. So when the angel of the Lord appears, this is unique. And Sarah doesn't seem too like set back. Maybe this was in the form of a person. We're not really sure exactly how. All we know is that God is communicating to this, to this servant, to Hagar. And so what do we see here? We says, she says this, I am running away. I don't care. She's like, where'd you come from? Where are you going? I'm running away. This is what she says. I'm gone. I'm out. This is, I am so over this situation. This is just bad. This is bad. And then she answered in verse nine. And then, the, then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. Are you kidding me? Sometimes God asks us to do things we do not want to do. Oh, and lose the attitude along with it. <laughs> That's what he's saying. I need you to do this and stop, you know, stop with all that, you know, that, that selfishness. Stop with all that bad attitude. Stop with all that hatred. Stop with all that. Just stop all that. I need you to do this. And this is what he tells her. He goes on, and this is what's amazing is because we always think of these certain people being blessed. And then this is, this is the blessing that comes. Verse 10, the angel added, oh, by the way, if you do this, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. That sounds very familiar, doesn't it? That sounds like what? That was, the, that was the promise to Abraham and Sarah. That wasn't the promise to the servant, the one that nobody cares about. Wait a minute, she gets a promise? Oh yeah, because we're talking about God, not humans that only focus on certain people. He goes on and says this in verse 11, the angel of the Lord also said to her, you are now pregnant and you will give, the birth, and you will give birth to a son. This is before the ultrasounds, before all that. She didn't know if it was a boy or a girl. She knew she was pregnant. She didn't know what it was. All of a sudden, she realizes it's a boy. I'm sorry, but she was as happy as we get in the doctor's office when we find out if it's a girl or a boy, you know? And even, even more so at this point, because this was great news. This is, I mean, she's having a little boy. This is, this is great. He goes on, you'll give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. Ishmael means God hears. God hears you. This is what he means. This is like, you know, this whole idea that I'm going to give a name that means something. You know, just not like when your son or daughter is born, you're like, oh, that looks like a, you know, Beth. <laughs> you know, it's like, there's more to this. There was way more to this. It goes on in verse 12, and the description, I'm just going to be, I'm going to be honest, doesn't sound too good, but it actually is, okay? Here we go. He will be a wild donkey of a man. All right. Um, those are like good fighting words right there. Um, his hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility towards all his brothers. So this guy's going to be fiercely independent. He's going to be a fighter, a survivor. He's going to find a way to make it. He's going to be a countryman. He's going to like John Deere Green. He's going to wear flannels. He's not going to be a city boy. Um, he is the father of the Arab nations. I mean, this is who this boy turns out to be. This is big. This is history in the making right here. Pretty accurate description. You know, I mean, this is unique. It goes on. She gave him the name of the Lord. So listen to this. This is very important. Verse 13. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. So this is now this servant, this Egyptian servant, giving a name to God. And this is kind of where we're going to land on. You are the God who sees me. You're the God that knows me. You're the God that gets it, right? You're the God that sees me. This is what she's saying. She's sitting there. She ran away. She's thirsty. She's by, you know, she's out in the desert. She's, I mean, she's probably heading back to Egypt and she's sitting there and she, she looks up and says, this is the God that sees me. 
you're here today. So you probably have this idea and this reference that God sees you, but I'm here to tell you that God sees you. I don't know how you were raised. I don't know all the drama that you went through as a child and as a, as a preteen and as a teen and as a college student and as a, in your 20s and 30s and 40s and what you had to deal with with your mom and dad and your grandparents and your family. I don't know and I, don't, I, I, I can't tell you that everything is going to be perfect moving forward. But what I will tell you is simply this, is that you worship the God that sees you. And so often with a God that we cannot see, we go, you know what? I don't even know if he's there. I don't even know if he gets it. And here's Hagar, this Egyptian servant going, you know what? I'm going to give you a name. You're the God that sees. That's a cool, that's a cool part of the story. She goes on, says this, I have now seen the one who sees me. And she goes on, she names this well for basically that. You know, this geographical place, this well, is now going to be referenced to this as the God that sees. And we see this is pretty amazing. Last week was the God most high. This week was the God who sees. I mean, Hagar goes back and she has a new outlook. You know, she's heading back and she's going, you know what? Okay, this is completely different. I know she hates me. I know my mistress hates me. My, this person I'm trying to be a servant to hates me. And I know there's going to be drama, but you know what? God, you see me. You know, God, you see. You know, it's that high school student that, you know, goes home and there's drama in the house and there's fighting in the home. You know, they put their headphones on to just try to block it out, but yet they got to go to school the next day. They get news, they got to go to a new school, and you're going, oh my goodness, we've moved <laughs> so many times. You know, and then there's the, the, the dad that, and the mom that's trying to do everything right for their kid, but their kid just keeps doing the wrong thing. And you're like, I didn't raise you this way. What is happening? It's that human nature coming out. You know, it's that woman that's about ready to go into the counselor's office, you know, in her 30s that's just trying to piece together her life from all the horrible things that have happened throughout. I hope in every one of those situations that somebody could breathe life into you and say, you know what, you're worshiping the God that sees, that knows, that hears. This is the God that's up there and understands. If we go forward in the story after Abraham a few generations... You start seeing this, this theme over and over and over. This isn't just the one and done. This isn't just, well, I'm glad that God saw Hagar. You know, no, it happens again. You know, there's this man named Jacob. He's like uh, the great, great grandson of, let's see here, no, the, the grandson. There we go. He was the grandson of Abraham, and he's marrying two women. I don't get it. Why are they doing this? I don't understand. And of course, one was beautiful, and then the and scripture says the other one had weak eyes. I don't know what that means either, but you know, she had weak eyes. I don't know. It's like squinting all the time. Not really sure, but she wasn't as loved as much as the other one. That has to be a difficult, crazy situation. And so here's the words. This is coming from Genesis chapter 29, verse 31. When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, he enabled her to conceive. When the Lord saw, it's like he's looking over that cloud and going, oh, my heart is breaking for you. This theme is coming out again. This isn't just a one-time thing. God is the God that sees you. God most high, but he's also the God that looks down and understands where you're at. You fast forward to the next book, the book of Exodus with Moses. Most of us have heard of Moses before. 
You know, when Moses shows up on the scene, the nation of Israel, Abraham, the promises that were given him, hey, you're going to be a, this, a great, great nation. If you keep reading, by the next book in the Bible, the second book, they are in the millions. I mean, their nation is enormous. God bless them drastically. And so what happens, we see with Moses, is that all these people are now over in Egypt, and they're slaves themselves, and they're being treated horribly, horribly bad. And this is how scripture says it. This is in chapter 7. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. And I am concerned about their suffering. We worship the God that sees you. This is fantastic news, is it not? Our world needs to know this. Our culture needs to get this. Because so often we just put God up on his throne high and mighty. And most people, honestly, you know, I know there's people that don't believe that God exists. But down deep in their heart, they, they, there's something there that tells them there is something more to this. But so often what do we do? We make God to be so impersonal. We put God up there. But God is going, man, I want, I want to help you. I want to be there for you. I want to help you create a solution. Just don't come up with a plan and start going on it on your own. Let me come beside you. Do my will instead. And when Jesus shows up on this earth, he started saying things like, you know what? Don't worry about what you will eat. Don't worry about what you will drink. Don't worry about what you will wear. He's saying, you know what? I got this. I got this. Some of you needed to hear that today. Because you're going through something, you're like, I just don't know. Some people are leveled. I mean, they are leveled with life coming at them in 10 different directions. Others seem like they can just skate by and it's just life is okay and it's not really, there's not that much going on and you know what, the, the heartache isn't that real. And, but man, there are some people in the room today that are just like, oh man, I barely made it here and I'm begrudgingly here. <laughs> you needed this today. God is the God that sees you. So when you're going through difficulty, when life comes at you this week, when that deal doesn't go right, when something falls through, when your kid lies to you for the 10th time, when whatever you might be dealing with on your own personal world, just step back and go, okay, Hagar, I get you, right? God is the God that sees. God is the God that knows. God is the God that understands. May you hear those words. May, may those words rattle around. Because God is the God that sees. We're going to finish the morning out uh, with communion. And uh, it's just a great way to kind of just finish up, you know, a morning and just being able to focus on him. Communion is something that we do, um, you know, every month or two we end up doing it. And it's something to where we're able to just focus on him through the bread and the grape juice. And it's something that I encourage you today, just at the end of the service, this is something you're not really comfortable with. I'm, just hang out. You know what? We'll do one more song after communion. It's cool. Um, if you have something on your heart that you need to get right with the Lord, I encourage you at this time, you know what, grab the, the bread and the grape juice, head back to your seat, and then just talk to the Lord a little bit. Talk to him and just say, you know what, God, I got this going on, this going on, this going on. I have obedience here. I got trust issues here. You know what, I, this doesn't make sense. Can you just give me some peace? You know what, and everybody has been able to take some bread and grape juice. I'll come back up. I'll read a little bit of scripture, and we'll uh, take that together.
But what are the things that, that you need to just kind of give to God right now? Yeah, if you just bow your heads and close your eyes. Just talk to Him for a little bit. God, we love you so much. Lord, I thank you for all the, just the complex names that you have, Lord, in Scripture. But Lord, what I really love are these names that just relate to us, that we can understand, that we can get. Lord, thank you for being the God that sees us, the God that hears us, the God that knows what we're going through. But Lord, thank you for being God most high, for being that God, that the, the God that looks at us and orchestrates and knows what we're going to be going through, Lord, and the plans that you have for us. Lord, help us to chase after you, Lord. Help us to desire you, Lord. Help us to thirst for you, to hunger for you. God, we love you so much. I thank you for sending your son, Lord. I thank you that we can observe what you've done for us on the cross, Lord, through communion. Lord, help us as a church, as a group of people, Lord, as we just uh, take a few moments here at the end of this service just to focus more on you. Lord, that we would hand over anything to you that maybe might not be right in our lives. Lord, um, I pray that we can just <laughs> think to that time where we started that relationship with you, Lord. If there's someone in this room that has never started that relationship, Lord, I pray that they would do that. Lord, I pray that they would just take a few moments, Lord, and just be able to hand that to you. Lord, thank you for your cross. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your grace. I pray these things in your name. Amen.